about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. We're back. No happiness here. It's an emergency podcast. The Four Horsemen Podcast. It's your host, P. Wagon, joined by Steve. Uh, and we're here to really talk you all off the ledge. We all know what happened. It was a very unfortunate Saturday. And people are divided. People are very divided right now, Steve. Uh, I'm here to bring some levity to the division and making sure that we're all on the same page going forward. Uh, It has come to my attention that there are people out there who do not like Kit Kats, and I will not stand for that. I mean, a Kit Kat is... Certainly in the top 10, arguably top five all-time candy, right? It's top three in my book. I wouldn't be opposed to that rating. All right. So just so we're on the record here, we are Team Kit Kat. And also we're Team Tortellini, correct? And Team Tortellini. Just so you all know, we're in sync. We both had Tortellini tonight for dinner. And the horsemen aren't going anywhere. There were talks that we would retire after our ill-advised pick last week. We're here. We're here for the long haul. We got half a season left. Seven games left. We're not leaving. We're not fucking leaving. So, Steven, we won't talk about the game. We won't talk about the hurry up offense. We're just going to have a conversation. Before we do I'm that, sure, I'm sure that some of the game is going to bleed into it. But yeah, it's it, we're we're going to talk more in the macro sense in terms of the program itself, almost a midseason emergency state of the program. Um, that's pretty much the plan. I'm sure we might get into a couple of plays here or there, a couple of schemes, whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be kind of a free flowing podcast. This is obviously. I wouldn't say it's uncharted waters. Uh, we're, we, as a fan base, are all extraordinarily familiar with this. And that's kind of the, the point that we're going to end up making throughout the course of the podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over to you. I'm going to let you make your opening statements, your arguments, anything that's bothered you. I know there's plenty that's bothered me, uh, specifically a lot of the fan response. Um, so, yeah. so, so take us into it. That's, that's where the majority of my... Uh, points lie today. Uh, our mentions are a, to use a, a term I don't put lightly, a dumpster fire. Uh, there's a lot of people in there thinking they can coach better than the coaches who are paid millions of dollars to coach. Uh, there's a lot of people in our mentions who are calling out young young men for not performing to their standards. Uh, these imaginary standards that fans set. Uh, everyone just needs to chill and I get where you're upset. The unrealistic expectation of winning, having a 10-win season again, uh, it's a pretty high bar. What you have to remember is we do not have the same regime that we did last year. Oh, but they were a 10-win team last year. They almost made the playoffs. That's not the same team. We have a new quarterback. We have a new slew of running backs. We have a new defensive coordinator. 
We have all new coaches. Winning is hard, to use a Brian Kelly quote. And at the same time, everyone's acting like the sky is falling when we are a 500 team. We're not 0-6. We're not 1-5. We're not 2-4. We're 3-3. Yes, the two losses outside of Ohio State were very bad. But at the end of the day, we've seen this before with Irish. Charlie Weiss era. Bob Davey era. Tyrone Willingham era. Brian Kelly era. We've seen these type of losses before. The Irish are going to rebound. They got UNLV this week, home of Guy Fieri. And we really are in a fine spot. Oh, we can't go 9-3. and three. We can't go 10-3. and three. Why not? We can't beat Clemson. Stanford beat us. We, we can't beat USC. USC lost. Marshall beat us. This is it's this fallacy that of the moment where Notre Dame isn't going to perform like a Stanford or a Marshall. They're not going to play up to the competition. They have to play up to Clemson. They have to play up to Syracuse, as much as I hate to say that. They have to play up to USC. UNLV, Boston College, and Navy, those are games that they should win. So you're sitting through your bowl eligible right there. Then you got three more matches where you can play up, and I'm sure the boys are going to be fired up. So at the end of the day, all these fans who are freaking out, I'm not. Am I worried about some things? Maybe. But it's all, don't know the right word I'm looking for here, but it can be fixed. And everyone's just pointing the finger at everyone. They want to find someone to blame. They want to find a scapegoat. Football isn't an easy game. At the end of the day, it's a very tough game. And you miss one or two assignments, you miss one or two tackles, and we're in the loss column. The refs didn't help on Saturday. But I don't understand why people want someone fired. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. um, Listen. This was always going to be a transition year. Now, we were on the highly optimistic side that it would be a, a decent transition from the old regime to the new. We thought that we had the defense that was talented enough, and they are. And we thought we had enough weapons on offense that would be manageable. And that way, you know, you would need to make the quarterback effectively a game manager. And, I mean, quite frankly, we had the <clears throat> we had higher than normal expectations with Tyler Buckner, a 6'1", 200-pound quarterback that can run a 4'4", and threw for 6,000 yards and over 50 touchdowns in his uh, junior year of high school, setting a state record. Um. Obviously, Buckner went down, and that's immediately right there. You kind of have to take two wins off the board of what's expected. Drew Pine had been efficient before this Stanford game, and, um, you know, he kind of came back down to earth. I still think that he can play better, and, I, you know, he's obviously shown it the last couple weeks, UNC and, and so on and so forth. Like, the talent's there. I, I think... Um, the the contrast between the BYU game and the Stanford game, it's very abundantly clear that Drew Pine is under completely and utterly and totally dependent on Michael Mayer being open. 
And Michael Mayer is going to be open the majority of the time. But the majority is not always. And if he is not always open, and that's the only target that you are looking at, you are going to get sacked, or you're going to get pressured. You're going to have to run, throw it away, um, maybe get back to the line of scrimmage, or you're going to have to just like go to a second read, God forbid. And that's when you know mistakes can be made. <clears throat> so, you know, it's just there. There's there's things that are inherently just working against us. So, yeah, I, we had high expectations for sure. Um, and now, I mean, you, you have to just take fault and, ad, and admit those expectations were not realistic. And it's time to start becoming realistic. This is We are in a regime change. And to highlight what that would mean, and this is credit on Twitter to, uh, to Twitter user Bang1801. He actually tweeted this back on September 11th uh, after. NG. Benji. B-E-N-G-1801. Um, so Benji tweeted it back on September 11th, which I would believe would be right after the Marshall loss. Notre Dame's recruiting classes, the five years prior leading into Brian Kelly's tenure. Now this would be Charlie Weiss's recruiting classes. Yep. Charlie Weiss had the fifth best class, the sixth best class, the second best class, and then the 15th and the 15th, respectively. Now, the five classes leading into Marcus Freeman's tenure were ranked 10th, 15th, 15th, 9th, and 7th. So, our classes were good. They were deep. But as you can see, at the wide receiver position... At the offensive line position, at the linebacker position currently, now future is obviously coming in, in the future, help is coming in the future, but currently the linebacker position is uh, wide receivers and and, and quarterbacks are, are just a little bit too thin without the top end talent that we would need in order to close out a 10 win season. So we've already seen a massive, massive increase in the quality of recruits that are coming to Notre Dame. All of them repeatedly keep signaling that they are going to stay loyal to their commitments despite the ongoing problems. I think that they understood when they were committing to this program, listen, these are not Freeman's guys. I'm a Freeman guy. I mean, Cam Williams just jumped up like a hundred spots in the, uh, the consensus. Like, you know, he's like rated as a top 20 wide receiver coming in as a true freshman next year. He's a commit. Do you think that we need wide receiver help? Like it's coming. All everything that we want, everything that we are looking for, and everything that we currently need is already signed, sealed, and committed. So my question for you, Wagon, or I guess I'll, I'll make this a little bit more hypothetical, and then I'll close out my point and push back to you here. Would you expect a true freshman to come into a program? and immediately lead you into national contention? Or would it be more reasonable to expect a true freshman to come in and play, be sh show some moments of, of you know, some flashes of greatness, but ultimately some inexperience? And would you expect that freshman to make a couple of, of rookie mistakes, but learn and grow and improve along the way, therefore developing and setting up himself and his team for success 
going forward. No, Steve, don't be silly. Don't 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 be silly right now. No, no. no Everybody no, no. in their first year is expected to be a national championship caliber you're player. Supposed, you're or, supposed to be a Heisman winner once you step naturally. On yeah, exactly. But no, so that's, that's what we have with with Marcus Freeman. If I could make the analogy, Marcus Freeman is a five star recruit quarterback that committed to the University of Notre Dame. In this analogy, is he going? Oh. We know in the in the meantime, in the short term. He's still going to have flashes of brilliance. He still isn't remarkably talented. He's just working out the kinks to develop into the player, or in this case, coach with this analogy that we need him to be. Marcus Freeman is the guy. He just doesn't have the infrastructure in place around him yet. He is going to grow into the role. The recruits are going to come. The quality of, of football player on this program is going to precipitously increase over the course of the next three years. We understood that this was a possibility when the whole Kelly thing went what happened back in early December. Everyone was immediately saying, we just set our program back a couple of years. Guess what? We set our program back to 2013, you know, 14, 15. But then look what happened in 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. And to make this abundantly clear, 99% of the time, we are a satire site. We, we make jokes because we are the overreacting superfan. People are mad at me right now because I said that 3-3, three and 4-2, three, and 5-1 and, and one were wrong. Am I feeling that we can go 6-0? Yes. Would I be surprised if we didn't? No. But at the end of the day, why show up and watch a game that you think you're going to lose? That, that, that's just a point I want to make before I continue on with what we're talking about. You should think you're going to win every game. Notre Dame has put themselves into a chance to win every game. The three losses that have been this season, okay, num- number one or whatever, top five Ohio State. How many did we lose by them, Steve? I asked you. We lost by 11. Marshall, we lost by five. That's 16 points right there. We lost to Stanford by two. We've lost three games by 18 points. And we had, mind you, a touchdown called back on one of the most bogus and insane and ridiculous penalty calls in the history of football. So that's also something to factor in here is we kind of got fucked by the refs. I mean, I know one play doesn't change a game, but one scoring play that would put you up by five at the end of the game I instead missed, of down by two does have a tangible effect. I so that is PI, a miss PI uh, as well. So there, there's calls that didn't go for us. Uh, so we, we've lost by 18. Our three wins have been by 13 by seven. So we're at 20 right now. We're a plus two point differential and by eight, we're plus 10 in point differential though. We could be five and one right now. So everyone freaking out that we lost three games to Stanford, Marshall, and Ohio State just really has to chill out. It's going to happen. We will bang the drum that Notre Dame's not going to lose another game for the, end, for the rest of time. Only because people get so gosh darn mad at us saying that. Oh, you're not realistic. Yes, we are. Listen to what we're talking about. We're very level-headed right now. We're not out here saying that everyone needs to be fired like some of you are. Changes will be made. We don't get paid to make these changes. And at the end of the day, financially, 
if you hire someone and you bring them on for, I don't know, whatever they're making, let's use a round number here, $10 million. Do you want to eat $10 million if you fire them after one year of poor performance? In business, if you perform poorly, you put on a, a performance improvement plan, a PIP. Why, why can't that happen at ND as well? Say, hey, we recognize what we have to do. We're going to bring this person in to help you out and see what happens. If no improvement happens in year two when you're not handcuffed by Brian Kelly, let's see. You know, does that make sense? Am I am I talking crazy right now? No, yeah, no, of course. It's like you just you, leeway has to be given. It, grace has to be extended. You know, Brian Kelly lost to Tulsa and Navy in his first season. He started his career one and three at Notre Dame, not three and three, one and three. He started his second year zero and two. We know all the horrific shit that happened in the early two thousands. At uh, 2010s, rather, uh, you know, Brian Kelly went eight and five. He went eight and five, and then finally went 12 and 0, went to the national championship. We know how that ended, and you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, eh, eh, you know, some highlights, some lowlights. But then, after he had time to get his guys, after he had time to develop them, after he had the time to to institute a winning culture and set the high standard, the pieces fell into place. We know what Brian Kelly's ceiling was because of his lack of desire to recruit. And if Brian Kelly's ceiling was a national championship appearance and two playoff appearances, and that's with a guy that didn't recruit, just imagine, just imagine what will happen when Notre Dame has a guy that can recruit. And they, and they have better guys on their roster now than we had back then. Yes, there's been turmoil. Yes, there's been some lackluster performances. Don't forget, you lost your best wide receiver for the year to a blown ACL. One, one of your key wide receivers on the field at all times is a sixth-year super senior walk-on. Like, I... Uh, yeah, of course there's gaps and there's holes. We were confident at the beginning of the year that we could cover those up, that talent would prevail, the offensive line would be better, the running backs would be able to get you know some space, take some pressure off the passing game. Michael Mayer would be there and, and he has been. He's been fantastic. And then, you know, we, we thought that balls would be getting out to the wide receivers more. Quarterbacks not getting the ball into the hands of the receivers. That's a development issue. That's something that's going to happen over the course of time. He started three games in his fucking career. We are transitioning. That's just the way that it is. So yeah, am I upset? Am I pissed? Am I mad? Was I upset that we lost? Of course, I was, I was heartbroken. But then when you take a step back, you just you look at things, you compare, you contrast, you say, listen, we've been here before, we've got through it, we, and when we got through to the other side, a national championship appearance and two playoff appearances. The future is still bright. Marcus Freeman is still the guy. And I still the think that this guy has not fallen yet, thankfully, because I think that would hurt if it landed on you. But it's just the, the rational minds need to prevail. And at this point, you kind of just have to treat the season as a bunch of fun. We're completely knocked out of playoff contention. We're knocked out of a New Year's Six Bowl game. Even if we finish 9-3, and three, I, I don't think that's happening. And that's yeah. fine. 
At, but at this point, what you have to do is you just have to have fun. You have to cheer for the team to win. You have to understand that there's a possibility that they can lose. And what you have to cheer for is development. You want to see this offensive line push people around and bully them around. You want to see these wide receivers get in and out of cuts, get open, and make a play so that way Drew Pine can get them the ball. You want to see Drew Pine stand in the pocket, stand strong, stand tall, go through his reads, first, second, third read, get the ball out, get the into the hands of, of a guy in stride, make a big play. You want to see these running backs make their cuts and get their yards, get their touchdowns, make some plays, and obviously on the defense you want to see them ball out. You want to just see improvement because if you can get the improvement and you can get the momentum, you can continue to recruit top talent to this campus, and once they are here, we will be fine. The future is so unbelievably bright. The true freshmen on this team already are incredible. The freshmen coming in the year after are going to be unbelievable. It's just a transitioning period that we should have accepted a while back, but I think we just got caught up in a moment of euphoria by getting our guy. Everyone back in December when Marcus Freeman was announced as the full-time guy, everyone loved it because they knew the upside. The downside is we have him a little bit too early, but he's going to develop just as his program is. It, it seems like everyone wants the the head coach to be our Ryan Day, uh, a Nick Saban. People forget how bad Clemson was for a while. There was a whole movement out there called Clemsoning, where you went up big and then you found a way to lose. Do you remember that? Because I do. And now people are acting like Dabo Swinney is the next Nick Saban. All coaches are going to go through this, and it's how you respond to this type of adversity. Look at what I, Venables is going through in Oklahoma right now. Oh, but yeah, Brett, well, that's because he can't steal signs. Uh, <laughs> That's beside the point. Um, Brett Venables, he was Jesus. You know, he was a name that people wanted. And people are telling us, oh, you should have went out and got, uh, gotten Luke Fickle. You should have went out and got Lane Kiffin. Why? Why go out and get someone like that? And with Tommy, the, so the crux of the issue, the elephant in the room, is that everyone wants Tommy Reese fired. I do not want him fired. Tommy Reese will defend Notre Dame until the day that he's blue in the face. And he's, he's an excellent recruiter. He's great at recruiting. He's been at Notre Dame. He understands how Notre Dame will change you if you let it. And it's not just rhetoric with him. Like, he's been through everything. Why not have a guy like that on your staff? Oh, he's been here for a decade and he hasn't done anything. Really, a decade? How long has Tommy Reese been on the goddamn staff? It's... Not a decade. As an analyst, years. what, 1920, and then he just took over as OC in 21? Yeah, something like that. It's just, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand overall where these people are coming from. With It's like they're pulling these stats out of thin air, and they're, they're using it to fit their own, it, it's not their own rhetoric, but it's their own weird worldview of why they don't want 
this staff to be together. How about Al Golden blitzing two linebackers on third and long instead of playing, you know, a, a more basic defense and, and using your Viper? How about making some defensive adjustments? Why, why does it all have to fall on the quarterback? Oh, our offense isn't good. Really? We have a three-headed beast in the backfield. We have a blood and cough uh, semifinalist in Mayer. We have a good offense with a piecemealed wide receiver room. So, like, everyone has just freaked out way too much, and frankly, it's just kind of ridiculous overall. And here's also something worth noting. It's that we are all upset because we are currently at the point in our program where we expect to immediately contend for a national championship, even with the first-year coach. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that you had such high expectations and were let down. You had those expectations because the health of this program is incredible. We're going through some temporary heartache. Yeah, again, I can't express enough how over the last 32 and a half years of my life, just how much I wanted to see Notre Dame win the big one, and they haven't. And it hurts to know that I have to push that off one more year. But guess what? Not going to lie, it's going to be my Jesus year. So we might we might be onto something here. But the fact that you're saying, even in the face of a head coach just in the middle of the night packing his shit and bouncing, that you still have the roster, the infrastructure, the team, the coaches, that you can immediately be a national championship contender, even if it doesn't happen in year one. I mean... Can you sound more spoiled by stamping your feet like a toddler? That That's exactly right. It's like the fan base are being, uh, you know, petulant children right now. Uh, it's like, oh, they're not going to get their way. Like I, I said in our chat, uh, I've been calling fans in our chat privately uh, chicken littles. I mean, I've said it publicly, too. I'm not one to shy away from that. Uh, but it's not chicken little anymore. Uh, it's Veruca Salts. Like, I want it now. Get get me that squirrel now. And then you know what happened to Veruca Salt when she started to stomp her feet and not get her way? She fell down the hatch and Oompa Loompas had it and strapped her out of there. She lost the chocolate factory. Yep. And the lesson there is sometimes you just have to show a little gratitude. A little bit of gratitude goes a long way. So and I yeah. have – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Continue. I was just going to say, I mean, basically, we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for what we have in the, in the situation that we're in because now we have a chance to see what these players are made of, especially these underclassmen. We know what the seniors are made of, but the, the underclassmen, you know, this is an opportunity for them to grow and make this a better program in the future, and, and I'll turn it over to you now. So let, let's do let's do some numbers here. Lou Holtz in his tenure at Notre Dame lost ten games to unranked opponents. Bob Davy lost ten games in his Notre Dame tenure to unranked opponents. Tyrone Willingham, seven. Charlie Weiss, fourteen. One of them was UConn. Brian Kelly, first year lost to four unranked opponents. Then there was a year of three, a year of one, a year of three, and a year of six. So if we do those numbers there, that's 10, 13, 16, 17. Ryan Kelly lost to unranked opponents 17 times in his career. 
Marcus Freeman has lost to two. There, there, there it is right there. If everyone was on Twitter during the first year of Brian Kelly and everyone, you know, was this upset, it, it would be the same thing. You're only hearing it now because everyone's on social media and you've curated an echo chamber in that you can only hear what you want to hear. So if we just talk about head coaches, 10, 10, 7, and Tyron Willingham shouldn't have been fired after his third year. That's just my point. 14 and 17. They're your losses. Are, are people being reactionary because they're thinking it's like a, a Brian Kelly first year? Probably. But it's just it's just overall ridiculous. That, that, and that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how much longer I could continue to talk about it because it's just, you know, we, we've we've made all the points that we need to. If you want me to go and pull up the game log and talk stats and talk numbers and talk plays and talk scheme and this, that, the other thing. Yeah, I don't like running into to packed boxes. I, I want a quarterback that's going to go through a second read. Yeah, we can we can go and continue to analyze every single down, every single play. We can do the film and all that sort of shit. At the end of the day, the thing that matters is this is a program with six games left, potentially seven. So what you have to do is you just have to appreciate what you have. You have to support these guys. You have to build them up. If you had a son that was currently on the Notre Dame football team right now, what would you tell him? Would you tell your son, you suck, you're a loser, you can't get anything done, you're a choke artist? No. What you would tell your son is, hey, you know what? Things are not – just like in life, things are not working out the way that we expected or thought that they would. But we're not going to crumble like a bunch of bitch-ass pansies. What we're going to do is we're going to stand up on our own two feet, pull our shoulders back like men, puff out our chests, and face the world. And sometimes you're going to take an L, and that sucks. But the character of a man is how he responds in the face of adversity, not when you're in the good times. So if you can't handle me at my 4-8 and eight 2016, then you don't deserve me at my 12-0 2018 playoff appearance. And if you if you don't want me at my three and three first year blunder, temporary blunder with Marcus Freeman, then in three years from now, when we are holding a national championship winning trophy, if you're bitching and moaning, complaining on Twitter, I I want to we'll 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 go in the parking lot of Notre Dame Stadium. I'll fist fight you because you don't get to be a coward and a pansy and scream that everything is terrible and say derogatory things to these young men working their ass off and literally, quite literally, putting their life, limb, and body on the line for your entertainment, and then you come, you only come back around when things are good. You have to go through the bad to embrace the good. This is the ultimate sacrifice of a Notre Dame man. You do things the hard way because it's the right way. In the school, in the classroom, in the community, and on that football field. And sometimes things go wrong, but you just have to adjust, grow, and learn. And if you can't do that as a fan, but you somehow expect the players to do it in kind, then you are absolutely a sociopathic. And that's the last thing I want to say about this, because frankly, I'm disgusted with people's behavior. Well, if anyone needs a wall uh, replastered, uh, send the bill to Steve, because I'm ready to run through a wall for Steve right now. Uh, Tommy Reese an hour ago said... There's no point of hanging our head and feeling sorry because the guys outside the building 
sure as shit aren't. So we're just going to keep charging ahead and get ready to play Saturday afternoon. There, that that's our podcast summarized in two sentences. Move forward. You got the Rebels. You got the Orange, and then you got the Tigers. Win three. You're sitting through. You're bowl eligible, and then we'll figure out the next three. There, there we are. The season can be divided into thirds, two, two, and two. However you want to divide this last half of the season. You win each week, and then see what happens with everyone else. Notre Dame's not going anywhere. Notre Dame's not going anywhere. And I'll tell you, especially where they will be, is on Peacock at 2.30 this upcoming Saturday against the UNLV Rebels. I don't have any thoughts other other than let's just enjoy the program and support our team on Saturday and root for the best. Obviously, we want to hold them to a high standard, but let's not be dickheads about it. That's the only thoughts that I have going forward. Was there anything that you wanted to add, specifically alumni? Oh, do I ever. UNLV, their alumni group's the best out of every alumni group I've looked researched this year. Uh, <laughs> Guy Fieri, Kenny Main. Uh, the lead senior of Imagine Dragons, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Shug Knight, uh, Tommy Laren, your favorite, Icky Woods, who the guy who did Icky Shuffle, uh, the guy who founded a couple casinos in Vegas. I don't know his name. A bunch Steve of YouTubers. Went. Sure, that that one too. I don't think it was him. It was a person who did uh, Circus Circus. Uh, the creator of CSI, UNLV, just has a great alumni list uh, overall. It's a university. It certainly is. I, I think if I didn't go to school redacted, uh, I would look at UNLV now. It looks like a fun place to go. Uh, you know, the, the other person on here, uh, not only should Knight, not only Kenny Maine, uh, but you have people like Gingerfish, who was part of Marilyn Manson. Uh, you, you have just a ton of fun individuals. Cecil Fielder. When was there? Cecil Field, yeah. Yeah, I know a baseball player. Uh, and then you look at like Randall Cunningham, former quarterback for the Eagles and Minnesota Vikings. He went to UNLV. Keenan McCardell, uh, Nick Rolovich, who's currently the head football coach at Hawaii. Uh, they all went there. So it's a pretty cool. And Charlie Hoffman to throw a golf name in there. Uh, so really, UNLV is a pretty cool school overall. Uh, and that, that's really all I got about them. Uh, we did say we would talk about UNLV uh, punting real quick, and shout out John Sott. We got him on the list. Uh, he is on the Ray Guy Award list. He played very well uh, on Saturday, so that should help his stats. Uh, he just puts balls where people cannot return them. So that, that's just what I want to say about John. Uh, so good on you. Uh, I am going to be wearing an I cheer for the punter shirt at the Syracuse match. Uh, so if you see me, Say hello. That goes out to you, uh, Mike and Candace. Uh, would love love that. And overall, I was just kind of stalling there while I pulled up the stats for UNLV and their punters. Steve, do you have anything about UNLV? They they have a basketball team too, which is pretty cool, I guess. They do. Um, their basketball team is actually extremely good. It's actually crazy that they're not a nasty football team. Like if I were a recruit. And you're telling me that I have the opportunity to go to Sin City <laughs> for school. And if you're if you play well enough, you know that, you know, 
you could probably get into the the appropriate casinos and nightclubs. Seems like it might be a, a worthwhile place to go, but nevertheless, nobody agrees with that, so they typically are very bad. But I don't want to get so, ahead of myself because last are, time I did, we were embarrassed. Not, I just don't want to brag. Uh, I did say it could turn out like Marshall, so it hates. I hate to be right. Uh, they are four and three. They're coming off of two losses uh, to San Jose State and Air Force. They did beat the best uh, one-win team in the nation in Utah State. They beat New Mexico. Uh, and they beat North Texas, lost to Cal 14 to 20. Uh, overall, in terms of their special teams, their punters and kickers. Kicker is perfect on the year in extra points and field goals. He is 25 for 25 extra points and sits for sits with field goals. Their punter, Marshall Nichols, 33 punts, uh, 1,397 yards, averaging 42.3. He is a transfer. Uh, from Mississippi State, where he did not play in 2021. Uh, He is eighth in the Mountain West in punts, seventh in the Mountain West in punting yards, and eighth in the Mountain West in punting yards per punt. He is certainly a punter. Gotta love those punters. Punters are other people, too. Especially John Sott. Legitimately, actually, shout out John Sott. John Sott is our favorite player. Uh, this week I want Notre Dame to bounce back. Let Pine throw a couple, couple touchdowns. Get Steve and Jelly in the game at some point. Uh, just let, I want to see him play. Uh, the UNLV quarterback might be hurt, so hopefully our defense can get back on right. This is a get right game. Get right game. Then we're going into Syracuse and we're upsetting them up in the dome. Um, I, that's all I got. Let's uh, let's rally. Let's win some games. Let's get through October with a winning record, and uh, we're not going anywhere. Notre Dame is here to stay. What though the odds be great or small? Go Irish, baby. Go Irish.